It's time for Animal Outlook's Vegan Family Podcast. Welcome to one of our first interviews with staff here where we're going to get to know each other. This is Rachel Powalski, and she is our corporate engagement sort of guru here on, on Animal Outlook staff. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit, Rachel, about this whole world of corporate engagement or what I kind of like to think of as supply side work. So, you know, we're thinking about how do we create a vegan world? How do we get rid of factory farming and really shift into something that is a lot more sustainable, compassionate, and just sort of an overall better better system? And we think this is a really important way to do it. And, you know, we're among a number of other groups that are doing it, some in kind of different ways than ours, some in similar ways than ours. So um, what, what is this? What, why do we call it corporate engagement and what are we doing here? Yeah, so we, as it's described, engage with corporations, um, a variety of retail, like for grocery, uh, restaurant chains, whether it's fast food, um, casual, fine dining. We try to open up conversations with these corporations and influence them to offer more vegan options on their menu, um, sometimes improve their animal welfare standards. So we meet with these bigger corporations to try and get change that way so that while we're also making new vegans, when these people who are interested in more compassionate, uh, plant-based, more sustainable options, it's already on the menu for them when they're going to the places that they already visit frequently. Yeah, I think it's such a smart approach because I remember way back in the day uh, when we were having a conversation internally about having a campaign to push Subway to have more vegan options and thinking at the time that it would be amazing, you know, if there was, let's say, you know, vegan meat at Subway and really having this sort of image in my mind of being in, you know, the rural Midwest somewhere interested in veganism and animal protection issues and having no idea, you know, where to eat or kind of really being able to empathize with that kind of a person and saying, wow, if there was something at Subway, that would be amazing. And it's so funny to think about that because it hasn't been that long, you know, really since we, we started that campaign and we've had some really nice successes with that campaign. Um, but it's really been an avalanche, I think, of companies that have made these products sort of accessible. And I always think about like, you know, kind of going back to the Midwest, I was thinking about like growing up and my family having to react to my, you know, stopping eating animals and them saying, well, yeah, you know, the stuff that you make is so good. And the stuff that you bring home from these vegan restaurants is so good. Like if someone was feeding me all the time, I would just eat this way all the time. Right. I mean, you hear people say that all the time. And I think being able to have these tangible impacts on you know, large restaurant chains, obviously it immediately makes an impact on the animals that are, that are being killed for these products, but it also creates an environment like in a very literal way where people can be vegan and they can see it and taste it. And I think most of these people eating these vegan options are not even vegan, right? So this might be their kind of way in or way more in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. Just even when I went vegan, probably about 
a little over 10 years ago now, I remember just the word vegan, people seemed to think it was like this, it was like, you hear that and you're picturing like oozing green goo or something. It was just so unappealing. But now you see it on in drive throughs and on fast food, uh, the menus above the registers. And it's, it's become a lot more acceptable and it's not so scary anymore, just in not that, not that long of a time frame. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about how the kind of work that you're doing here at AO really impacts the cultural perception of the concept of veganism, right? The whole package just by, for example, offering a vegan burger, for example, I had, a, um, I'll give you two contrasting stories of my experience. So years ago, um, I think Scotland and the menu was very sort of, you know, old school European food, like a lot of meat and potatoes. And, um, and I asked the waitress at this restaurant, do they have anything vegan? And she said, well, what does that mean? And I said, nothing from an animal. She said, okay, nothing from an animal. And then she goes and she's like, what about this? And I'm like, that's beef. Like that's from a cow. Oh, Okay. And then she's like, okay, what about this? And I'm like, that's a fish. A fish is an animal. And you're not even changing. <laughs> like it's literally an animal. Like, oh, oh, like it was dawning on her in the moment that to even think this way. And we went through that. I mean, it was like watching like some like vaudeville act. Like it was so funny because every time she would give me something and I'd be like, mm, nope. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to last year when Beyond Meat had their Carl's Jr. promotion and all of us in the vegan world were so excited and we were, um, you know, we were sort of coached, okay, you got to go there and ask for it without cheese and without mayo. And I remember going into the restaurant um, and ordering it and they were backed up because, you know, there were like so many people, everybody coming to the drive-thru, I could overhear the drive-thru, everybody coming to the drive-thru was, you know, making that order. They'd be like, okay, you know, Beyond Burger, no cheese, no mayo. And the drive-thru person kept being like, yeah, 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 vegan, like, you want to be yes i want to it's like you know they're like come on you don't have to do this long drawn out thing like we know what you're talking about you know it's a totally different world yeah absolutely so what what kind of um what kind of tricks of the trade right can you offer for people who are interested in getting more vegan options out into the world from uh corporate engagement standpoint, I would say get in, involved with the actions that we send out. Um, and I kind of, in my activism, came up with the term to be respectfully relentless. Mm -hmm. So um, it's important to show these corporations that this isn't a fad that's just going to go away. It's not just a quick trend. This is the demand is increasing and it's here to stay. So when you're asking for something, don't just ask once and then that be the end of it. Keep showing up, keep um, contacting via social media, calling, sending emails, um, letting these companies know that this is something that you're interested in. Um, your local restaurants might have an opportunity to pitch this up the chain. So just engaging with people in your community and as well as at a national approach just getting involved however you can and showing that the demand is there and continuing with it until you start to see progress. And especially when you see progress at that point, um, you don't really want to let up just yet because you want to see this continue and um, encourage your friends to go out and purchase the vegan option when it's available, show that 
the demand is there and they should keep it on the menu um, and continue not only in the beginning phases when there might not be an option there, but also when there is an option to show your appreciation, to give feedback that this is um, something that you've been waiting for and that's something that you're going to continue to buy now that it is available. Yeah, I think I always sort of think about a little bit as like voting with our dollars, right? Like we want to be able to go, you know, even though I'm not a person who ever had any thought to go to like a Carl's Jr. before, you know, it's now in my orbit, you know, I'm like, oh, well, maybe that's something that I would do or, um, you know, that's probably the case with a number of these fast food places. Um, I remember in high school, years ago, this is sort of a segue to the McDonald's thing. It was, we had an open campus for my high school, so we could leave and go get something. But because it was just, you know, the fast food wasteland that we all kind of deal with, right? And I was vegetarian at the time. I would just go to McDonald's and get like, you know, get like a burger without the meat or whatever. And I was like, okay, well, that's like something. And I was like, this is terrible because I'm paying the whole burger price, you know, and now I like, that's all I can do, you know, and it felt always so like sort of icky, you know, like this feeling of like, but then I'm like, well, that's what I can eat for lunch. Otherwise the option was like, you know, go to a sub place and just get it without the meat, you know? So now it's so funny to see this, um, this big announcement with McDonald's and kind of see all the history of, you know, your work really pushing things in that direction and just as a milestone of how the world has really changed. So, I mean, do you think everything you just said about kind of being respectfully relentless and really making it clear to somebody like McDonald's who, who kind of sets the standard for everything, um, that they, that, you know, it's time, like they need to sort of get on this vegan bandwagon. And what do you think about this, this McDonald's announcement? Well, I think going back to your point about voting with your dollars, I was listening to an interview recently about before, actually right before McDonald's announced that they were offering the or trialing the McPlant, the McPlant um, burger next year. The interviewer, um, I can't remember exactly how it started, but the person that was being interviewed, I think they were a reporter in the food industry, said that if you're in a group of people and there's a restaurant that one person can't get anything at that negates the whole group, you know, at least in a supportive friend base, if you're all trying to go out to eat. And for example, if you're the only vegan in the group who can't eat at McDonald's, then McDonald's is missing out on not just you, but that entire group. So I think that's a really interesting way to put it. Cause it's not just your dollars. It's like influencing your friends and, um, making even bigger impacts in that way, which might still seem kind of small when you're just making plans to go somewhere to eat, but it, it definitely adds up. And I think this McDonald's announcement of trialing a McPlant burger is really, I think, a huge shift. We've seen this buildup of more and more corporations offering plant-based options here and there. Um, and it's now I feel like this is almost the turning point because McDonald's, I mean, obviously, Burger King offering the Impossible Burger is um, huge in itself, but then we heard a little bit about Impossible potentially courting McDonald's, and then um, they kind of rescinded the offer, and we later found out that it's because McDonald's is just this Goliath. You know, it's this huge corporation that has so many restaurants everywhere that uh, Impossible realized they couldn't keep up with the demand to supply a restaurant like McDonald's, and 
We saw the PLT trial in Canada with Beyond Meat, but it wasn't really mentioned whether Beyond Meat would be able to support that kind of supply chain. And I think that's why McDonald's went internally. And now we're hearing rumors that uh, Beyond Meat worked with McDonald's mm. to create this product. But McDonald's keeps saying it's made by McDonald's for McDonald's. And I think that's the only way they could really ensure that they have the supply is by doing it themselves because they're such a huge corporation. And I think this is really going to be a big turning point for plant-based eating once this is rolled out in McDonald's nationwide because it's one of the biggest, you know, there's always a McDonald's and there, a lot of the fast food chains that are its competitors are available too. But I think seeing it at such a large scale across the nation will really be that final mainstream push, I think, that we've been anticipating as we watch more and more uh, locations offer or more and more restaurants offer plant-based options. Yeah, yeah. What I'm hearing you saying basically is there was a supply chain challenge that was kind of the bottleneck in some of this progress or advancement in the direction of offering a vegan burger. And that seems to be something that McDonald's has overcome. And of course, it's showing that they're seeing that there's something in it for them basically to offer these vegan options. So the the image in my mind is like, okay, we had all these, you know, burgers coming from mostly, you know, dairy cows, basically. Um, and you're swapping that out for the vegan option. That's so, you know, you think about the staggering number, you know, that McDonald's, as you say, is a Goliath is kind of in control of and what the potential there is for really having that be a, you know, ultimately be a, a staple of their menu. It's, it's so, it's such a big impact potential and the kind of cascading possibilities elsewhere, right? I mean, if there's other, if the reasons elsewhere um, that we haven't seen more proliferation of vegan options is a supply chain issue. Um, maybe this is a model that other companies could use, um, you know, and kind of borrow the R&D a little bit from, you know, existing work and take it in-house as a, as a, a branded product like McDonald's is doing. So that's new in and of itself. You know, that's interesting. Nestle created their own um vegan burger with vegan cheese right and that was something that that you were involved in pushing them in that direction too you want to talk about that a little bit yeah so we had an investigation at a nestle supplier um and we're fortunately able to open up a communication or fortunately open fortunately able to open up a dialogue with nestle um and not long after our investigation uh, launched, we saw Nestle roll out the, it's a complete burger, right? Which has not been done before. It's the burger, cheese, and bacon, and it's all vegan. Um, and that is being supplied or marketed at the very least more toward like uh, hospitals and schools. You're seeing it in, on college campuses. And that's really exciting because sometimes in some colleges, you might end up in almost a food desert type of situation because if it's a remote location and all you have is the dining hall, um, that's another, that's actually what inspired me to get started in like corporate engagement when it comes to vegan options. So seeing a complete option available through Nestle, which is another just major corporation uh, globally, seeing them roll out a complete option like that to these facilities like hospitals, which obviously you want, you want to see health um, 
as a priority and sometimes you don't on the on the menu for patients or um, at schools when maybe the dining services are their only options, being able to know that you're going to a school that has something vegan on the menu is huge when you're looking at prospective students. And I think that's something that Nestle caught on to pretty quickly in our communication was that um, you could be a trailblazer and it really can be influential in more ways than you realize at first. Um, and of course you see the demand, so you cater to it. But then once you open that door, you realize, you know, for the schools that are buying it, now they're they're ranked as having options for vegan incoming students and uh, the hospitals for patients who may have specific diets. You, you're kind of seeing it trickle down in ways that you might not have anticipated originally. And that's also really, really profound and exciting to see. Yeah, I think schools and hospitals have a lot of potential in terms of, um, creating more opportunities, you know, in those areas. It's always funny to me when I'm at a hospital for whatever reason, and like the person is getting fed, even if they're getting a vegan option, it's so kind of underwhelming that I'm like, well, I could do better if I go to Taco Bell. <laughs> it's like, go bring them some Taco Bell. Like we, you know, we have some, some gaps to close there, I think. Um, and then, you know, uh, the story about your work on Starbucks is a little bit of a different trajectory there. Is that right? Like it's a little different to kind of be thinking, okay, Starbucks, let's start offering, you know, new vegan options. And they did a lot of, a lot of sort of fits and starts with a cookie and a sandwich that was, you know, vegetarian, but not vegan. And then, you know, where, where does that stand? And what are your, your thoughts on how to make a company like Starbucks really kind of be a leader in the, in the plant-based side of things? Yeah, so Starbucks has always been a unique one to me because, you know, growing up, I always thought like it was where the the hip um, liberal people, like the very forward thinking hung out and at least in my experience was one of the first to offer soy milk options definitely ahead of Dunkin'. So when they really almost dragged their feet with a substantial vegan food option, it was surprising. Uh, now, of course, they have soy, coconut and almond milk. So, so they're catching up. Um, but yeah, we saw the launch of the oatmeal macadamia cranberry cookie. I don't think that was the official name, but um, we saw that roll out and then it was kind of taken back. It, it wasn't very successful. And I, I have to say, I think it was almost, we were still seeing veganism as like the granola eating hippie from the nineties with a cookie like that. Whereas, you know, you, you can so easily make a chocolate chip cookie vegan and still make it taste just as delicious. So I think uh, Starbucks for whatever reason has a little bit of a learning curve with the plant-based arena. We've seen the rollout of the avocado spread, which is delicious for the bagel. That's a, a favorite of mine personally. Um, and then we're really starting to see progress now I would say in the past few years, we've attended some shareholder meetings and it's been on their radar, but I think they were focusing more in the drink space. Um, I know for a while, Starbucks actually, a lot of their locations stopped serving food. This was years ago um, because they were going more for just a drink space. So I'm not sure if that was really what influenced it. And then they went back to food. Um, but recently, now that we've seen that the one location outside of Seattle is working with Miyoko's vegan cream cheese to offer two different locations or two different cream cheese offerings there that are vegan. That's monumental. And that same location actually is trying the fully vegan breakfast sandwich. So 
not even a year ago, we saw a rollout of a plant-based breakfast burger at Starbucks too. And that was so exciting, but it was so short-lived because then we, re we found out not long after that it was prepackaged and frozen with egg and cheese on it. So they were getting there, but again, missed the boat. And when you look at places like Dunkin', the Beyond Meat breakfast sausage sandwich comes with an egg and cheese, but it's not frozen ahead of time. So you can just ask for it without. It's very easy to make it vegan. But Starbucks really seemed to miss the boat with just pre-freezing it to the point where there's no option to make it vegan um, when you're ordering it. So I think they kind of caught on a little late to that for whatever reason um, with Starbucks. It's been a, a bit of a, a learning curve, like I said. But now that we're seeing this fully vegan breakfast sandwich being tested at that same location outside of Seattle, I do believe that we're very close to a nationwide rollout. At this point, once they've seen that the not fully vegan breakfast sandwich has been successful, even with the cheese and egg, but they're still hearing the demand that, you know, you're close, but it's just not there yet. And we've, we've really seen the progress right from the cookie that was like, meh, to the sandwich that's like, oh, you're close, but you still missed it. And now I think, um, you know, acknowledging Miyoko's and the vegan cream cheese, seeing them partner with a vegan company like that, who Miyoko is, you know, an activist herself. And then uh, potentially there are rumors, but I'm not sure it's confirmed yet that the sandwich is going to be beyond meat and just egg. So once you see that they've been aware of these companies now and working to increase um, their availability, I think it's, I truly believe that at this point, once that trial is um, complete, we'll see a nationwide rollout of a fully vegan breakfast sandwich and it'll be a long time coming for sure. Yeah. Yeah. As you're talking, I'm thinking about both the Starbucks campaign and the Duncan campaign that at AO, you know, have been sort of long campaigns and they have all these, you know, um, progress milestones. And it's funny to see how the progress in one is sort of playing into the progress in the other. And I think kind of pushing, um, toward what I hope is a much more mainstream kind of set of vegan offerings. Here in uh, Southern California, I don't know if it's all the Starbucks, but a number of them, we have like the acai bowls. Um, and that's a pretty good option as like a vegan meal, um, you know, obviously plus all the drinks and everything. So hopefully that that is just sort of a train that's left the station and it's not going to be <laughs> changing direction. We'll just be getting more and more vegan options. Um, so I wanted to... Uh, sort of changed directions a little bit. You talked about um, the the voting with your dollars idea and the concept that you talked about in terms of one vegan or vegetarian in the group kind of meaning the whole group goes somewhere else. And um, I think that's called like the vegan veto. Like I think people have talked about it, you know, in, in this context of restaurants sort of coming to uh, their senses about this. Um, but I, I wanted to talk about it in the context of activism, right? Like, so taking off your corporate sort of um, strategist hat for a minute and look at like, how can people in their individual lives um, really be effective at this? I mean, certainly they can, as you say, engage in a petition um, or talk with the social media accounts um, of these large companies um, and ask for things. But your story about, you know, oh, if one person can't go, the whole group doesn't go, makes me realize like how much power the individual sort of, you know, conscientious objector basically has in a group like that um, and how much education that is for your 
social networks, right? I mean, like the people who are going with you, if you just sort of quietly decide to eat some French fries and like water or whatever, <laughs> have the same educational effect, you know, and I think sometimes people are uncomfortable um, speaking up in a, in a social dynamic like that, or, or, you know, saying, look, I really don't want to go to this place because you all are going to have a good time, but I'm just going to be eating salad or whatever and dry salad or whatever it is. Right. I think most places now it's not, it's not like that. Like you're, you're not just sort of left with dinner rolls and iceberg lettuce or whatever. Um, but yeah, talk about, about that concept about like kind of your path to where you are now and how you sort of found that voice or what you think people can take as how to be an effective activist or advocate for animals. Did you hear that? Sorry, I have the alert for our next meeting. Um, sorry, I got caught up for a second. So like describe my history as an activist? Yeah, and kind of how how you kind of gain confidence to speak up and also what are the right ways to think about, you know, effective tactics? How can we each as just people, regardless of whether we work for an animal protection organization or not, how can we be effective at this and how does that sort of map onto your journey? Yeah, so I know I've known plenty of people who are a little hesitant to kind of speak up and I think you know, there's the negative stereotype of a preachy vegan, but it doesn't have to be that way. And I think there are much more subtle approaches that you can take that are just as effective. So for example, if you are with a group of friends and you are the only plant-based eater, um, it doesn't have to be, oh, they don't have anything for me. Can we go somewhere else? You could easily say this other restaurant has options for all of us. And in that way, you're doing your own activism because once you go there and they see, your friends see that there are like delicious options that are plant-based. It's not even necessarily putting the one restaurant down. It's just shifting and showing your friend group what else is out there um, in a more positive light instead of, you know, saying I'm only going to be able to eat a water and French fries at this other place. Or you could say there's not as many options there. I'd love to show you this other restaurant or um, this is a personal favorite of mine. I'd love for you to join me here instead. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity just for families around their own dinner table at home. Um, when I was on the road doing pay-per-view outreach a few years ago, uh, one of my favorite things was when we met college students who, whose families maybe didn't, um, didn't understand and support. And, you know, they were, it, I would always say, you know, your mom isn't trying to oppress you or anything like that. Our parents were taught um, that, you know, meat and dairy were part, are part of a healthy diet and it's just not true. And now as we're becoming more aware of that, it's nothing to hold against your family. It's just to kind of teach them that this isn't actually true. And now we're seeing why here are some stats. And when you're with your family, if you're still living at home, it's so easy to just do a meatless Monday and say, mom, I want to cook with you. So you're in implementing that like opportunity to get to know your family, to hang out with your mom, what mom doesn't like what jump at an opportunity to cook with their kid. And just even in simple things like that, where you're not making it a conflict that I can't eat what the rest of the family is eating, just engage and let's, let's all try this tonight. Um, simple things like that can really just open up a much, um, 
a, a polite dialogue that's not as, uh, there's no conflict involved and you're not um, feeling ag aggressive or attacked or anything like that. It's just kind of slowly, you know, pushing the dial by pushing it into your own home. Um, and as far as my own activism goes, that's kind of, I would say how it started. I went vegan in high school. Unfortunately, I had a very supportive family. My sister went vegan. Um, not, so I went, I went vegetarian probably sophomore year of high school. Um, my sister is one of the few that I know that actually shifted straight to vegan. Um, it took me probably two years and then I went vegan as well. Um, so fortunately I've had the supporter base in my family, which I know is not as common for some people. Um, and I think that in itself is a huge, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, what's that? When you're like on a, when you're racing and the thing that you jump over, oh, it was a huge hurdle, um, a huge hurdle that I was able to avoid by having a family that supported me. But, um, especially when I got to college and I had already been around, you know, the vegan environment, my family was supportive. Of course, at that time, there were not like fast food restaurants that were offering vegan options. But I think it came from my background of being so supported that when I got to my college campus and there weren't really options, I was like, why not? <laughs> you know, at that point, it was just common sense that this is something you could do. Um, and I went to my bachelor's degree is in animal behavior, ecology and conservation. So that was like basically the perfect in to show my classmates, you know, we love animals. We are animal lovers. There's a way to practice what you preach when you eat, to um, follow your morals through your diet. So I started a vegan club on campus during my undergrad. And one of our biggest pushes was uh, Meatless Monday. I really wanted to leave knowing that there was a Meatless Monday on campus. At least people knew what the term was. Um, again, just pushing that dial, of course, opening the door and then hopefully people see uh, there's more to it. You know, you don't want to just stop at that first step. But um, that was our my goal legacy to leave behind. But fortunately, I met with Dining Services a lot and we developed a really great relationship. I still keep in touch with them. Um, and by the time I left campus, there was a fully vegan dining station on our campus. And it was a small private school. So we only had one dining hall overall and to have a station in there that was fully vegan was monumental and actually this was in buffalo new york and um, at that time that was the first vegan like dining spot in the uh, in the city we've seen a few more restaurants open up now but at the time it was really groundbreaking and it was on a college campus which was also unique um, and just developing those relationships on campus with dining services is really what got the ball rolling for me in corporate engagement, but also just within my community, um, joining or starting this, in my case, starting this veg club and uh, talking to classmates about, you know, like I said, having my degree was a perfect in, but it's conservation backgrounds. There are so many other backgrounds where you can just uh, add vegan and plant-based eating to the conversation in a more relaxed environment and, um, you'd be surprised how much change you can make when it's just, it's a lot more casual when you're bringing it into the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. This is really interesting because I'm hearing, basically what I'm hearing you say is you had um, 
a sort of supportive family environment, which allowed you to live in a way that, you know, created a certain amount of confidence, created a certain amount of competence and how to do it. And it just was your lived experience by that time. And you sort of, you know, internalized it so much that you walked out the door to your next, you know, community um, with a level of empowerment about how to replicate that elsewhere uh, that then just sort of became the thing you were able to do, right? I mean, I think identifying, oh, these people should care about this because they care about this adjacent issue um, is a really powerful thing to, to, you know, kind of realize and then to start doing along those lines, you know? So I think um, having that initial kind of, let's say home base environment where you're like, this is how it's done, um, makes you the expert to go out and make that happen elsewhere, which is really cool, really interesting. And I do think this idea of community, of having like, okay, we're all in this same undergrad program together because we care about animals, that may mean something about us. You know, there's something about each of us that we have in common and that it's relevant to this particular issue. That seems very strong to me in terms of the potential to do things. And I've always thought about, you know, we should be, you know, really engaged in the areas of our lives that have these tangential relationships, right? Like to me, so many vegans that I talk to, myself included, I think, began, let's say, their active um, work for animals with dog and cat rescue. You know, and I think if there's people who are out there who are really dedicated to, you know, taking care of homeless animals, those are the people who you know, are already halfway there as long as they were to have those kind of tools and that kind of conversation and support from the community. So I like your overall theme of, you know, kind of make it positive, um, you know, make it basically practical and um, you're, you're basically feeding people into persuasion. <laughs> you want them to, to really understand, which I think is, is very underrated, but a very important um, sort of superpower here to get, uh, to get this kind of change happening. And that that is a full circle back to this corporate engagement, right? It's like, how do we get this food in front of people where they physically are, you know, and have them start actually eating it and realizing, and I, you know, the word empowerment gets thrown around all the time, you know, it's kind of like a buzzy word, but I think that's really what this is, right? I mean, it's this idea that okay, I've lived it. I know I can do it because I'm already doing it. Um, I know what it will really be like because, you know, yeah, I've totally gone to, you know, the fast food restaurant down the street that has vegan options or whatever and eaten them and they're really good. Um, and I think that, you know, is kind of something that builds on itself, you know, in terms of being effective. Absolutely. So what did your parents think? Like, was it a hard thing for your sister to get your parents on board? No, actually, um, as I mentioned, I was vegetarian for a few years. And of course, I want to say that was easier. I know for people who are originally switching to vegetarian, it can be challenging, but um, it was a stepping stone. And so I think they were already aware of the idea. I mean, in my household, I, I was born an animal lover. Mm -hmm. As a lot of us are. We yeah. grew up like there's that, that special connection between children and animal other animals that I think um, we can all relate to, but sometimes don't refer back to for whatever reason. So it was no, no secret that like I grew up loving animals. Um, there, there were plenty of rescues in my life, uh, various capacities. 
Um, so the fact that I stopped eating animals was no surprise to anyone. And fortunately, um, I just grew up in a loving home where they shared they, my love for animals. Um, we always had dogs growing up. And so I think going vegetarian seemed kind of natural and it wasn't super far-fetched. So they accepted that. And then when we went vegan, um, my sister and I, honestly, my family was very on board. My mother is now vegan. My dad is a pescatarian. We're working on it. Um, but it's, I'm trying to think a few years after we went vegan, my sister started a, a veg fest in my hometown of Buffalo. And it is absolutely a family affair. Like every member of our family is on site that day working. Um, so it's, you know, it's a learning curve for everyone. You're shifting from what you've learned to be healthy. And I, I think that's where parents get caught up a lot is if they're not familiar, just worrying about their children getting the nutrients that they need. But um, in this case, it was definitely very much like my sister and I teaching my parents instead of, okay, you, you taught us growing mm -hmm. up, but now we're going to teach you what we've learned since then. Um, and yeah, we're very fortunate to have had them both on our side um, from the get-go. So having that, um, like you said, that support and that confidence going out into the world um, really set me up for success, I would say, in being able to effectively influence others. Yeah, so it's, it's like so sweet, you know, that this is how it turned out. It would be like the end of, you know, a movie about it. Um, it, it as you were talking earlier, and Kenny said something now that reminded me of this, I was thinking about exactly what you said. It's no longer, okay, you're teaching me this as the parent. Now I'm the child who can sort of impart wisdom and teach. Um, and I, I think it really says a lot about your family that they can sort of take that transition in stride because I think it's so hard for a lot of parents to see their children, you know, not in that childlike or baby-like way. And as, you know, fully actualized human adults... <laughs> And who might have a different viewpoint and that viewpoint, you know, might actually be, you know, really compelling and really legitimate. Um, and it sounds like your parents were able to give you that space and think of you that way and then sort of jumped on board with you, which is which is such a nice I mean, it's a metaphor for any kind of growing up transition and sort of that dynamic between parents and kids. But it's, it's really nice that it kind of manifests here in this way with this kind of really tangible like you go out and you and you feed people <laughs> you know, um, and you all kind of do it together it's like very sweet so what do you feed people like what are your do you take any of your family traditions and sort of you know put them out into the world in terms of actual food so at our veg fest we haven't used any family recipes yet um we've done like breakfast pizzas and things like that uh but now that we've seen the increase in vegan options across Buffalo, like there, like I said, when the, it was called Pitchforks, the vegan dining station opened at Canisius where I went to school, that was the only option. But now with that combined with the veg fest, there's multiple options now. So we don't, it's really nice to see that we don't have to actually offer vegan food anymore as the creators of veg fest. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not a creator. My sister is. I gave myself way too much credit there. <laughs> she was she was the one who got it all started. But it's really nice to see that we were able to kind of step back from making food and just focusing on the event. And Buffalo in particular is such a 
a food focused city. There's like a, a vegan uh, or excuse me, there's like a food festival for everything. And actually now we're seeing vegan options in the equation. So like um, mac and cheese, we saw a vegan restaurant add a, um, a vegan option to the contest. There's always a big contest at the mac and cheese festival. They had their own um, exhibit there and we're really seeing it just grow exponentially within the past few years. And yeah, we haven't shared as many um, family recipes. <laughs> We've kind of kept those to ourselves, but yeah, pretty much everything. Um, my Both of my grandmothers were like, I just always remember them cooking and we've been able to make vegan options of all of the, like pierogi I, mm -hmm. from a Polish background, um, even a vegan chicken soup, you know, just that growing up needing that comfort. We've been able to, there actually hasn't been a family recipe that we haven't been able to make vegan and it's still just as good. It's not like, I'm like, oh, it's good that yeah. it's vegan, but it's not, the, it's, to me, it is, it's that same family recipe. It's just modernized yeah. and really brings back the same feelings and the same taste. Yeah. That's that sense memory, that feeling of like, this was childhood, you know? So just, um, learn maybe two or three months ago that there's a vegetarian Polish cookbook that recently came out. Um, and a lot of it like has like cream and stuff in the recipes, but that's pretty easy to just sub out. Definitely. So I, yeah, so I'm really excited. Cause my, one of my grandmas is from Poland too. And a lot of, it's funny. Cause I realized like I'm of the generation that they really just wanted to assimilate, you know, like they didn't want to keep, like we would call it like Polish sausage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but all of those memories are still there and stuff. So it's nice to, you know, be able to make all that food and, um, you know, really start like, having almost like a file of this is what I like to cook and this is what I want to kind of bring along with me and be able to be creative and veganize some of those things and you know find your beets and your plums and <laughs> sort of go to town with it um so okay so let's talk about um so obviously you have like such a journey here and such a kind of level of expertise in terms of what you're able to do and what you feel competent doing and a lot of perspective on this. Like if, if I were a person listening to this and it, I was totally new to veganism <clears throat> and it just seemed basically hard or it seemed like I would feel deprived or I don't want to deal with people asking me questions about it, or I don't want to feel embarrassed. Like what would your advice to those people be? I would say start gradually. Um, I think people get caught up in like, oh, I've, I've been eating vegan, but I slipped up on one thing because I didn't understand the ingredients. So now I'm not vegan. And I, it's not about personal purity, at least to me, I think it's just about doing the best that you can, because it just, each person doing the best that they can will create a shift. So when I started, I cut out fish first, then chicken, then beef. And I think because I did it at a slower pace, I was able to learn along the way. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people say, you're like, oh, I could, if it, if I couldn't, or um, I just couldn't live without bacon. If bacon is your one thing, okay, save that for last. And as you're transitioning, research what else is out there, like light life, sweet earth, they all have vegan bacons now. But if that's what you're getting caught up on or tripped up on, then save that for last. But what helped me was just finding those substitutes. And really, it's not 
the animal meat itself that you're craving. It's usually the the flavors added to it, like salt or like steak. I used to love A1 steak sauce. And I'm pretty sure there are, if that one's not vegan, there are comparable ones that are. So it wasn't even the steak that I loved. It was the sauce. So just being able to make those shifts as you go and just taking your time to learn. Um, some people can go cold tofu, as they say, straight to <laughs> vegan, but it's okay if you can't. I would say do what you can and take that time to learn along the way. Because if in one day you decide you're just going to cut out everything that you're used to eating, that's going to be very overwhelming. And I wouldn't say that it's the best recipe for success long term. So if you're taking the time to find alternatives to what you like, or even new ones, like people um, don't always know what to do with tofu, because it doesn't taste like any meat that they're used to. And in that case, I would just say, okay, so it's a new food for you. It's not, we're not trying to make it taste like something you're used to, but you're just branching out and trying new things at this point, um, which can help as well. So like seitan, maybe, or seitan, you can make a lot of mm -hmm. meat alternatives, but maybe um, tempeh, I wouldn't say it has a consistency that's similar to any other food that yeah. I was brought up on so that's okay it's not it's not we're not trying to make it be beef it's just okay now we have another option that's cool on its own um and yeah not beating yourself up about it because i think if you get put so much pressure on yourself that you're getting overwhelmed and you're not making progress that's not doing anything for the animals you know just trying your best and learning along the way and sharing with others what you've learned um is I would say the most lasting impact that you can make. And if you're hesitant to share where you're at, you can always just say, you know, I've been looking into this and I want to try tofu. I've never tried mm -hmm. tofu. I'd like to try it. It doesn't always have to be um, like I'm going vegan and now there's nothing that I can eat at the restaurant you want to go to. Going back to what we said before, there are other ways to just subtly uh, add it to the conversation where um, the focus isn't, on like the change that you're making and the unknown. It's just about new options and opening new doors. Yeah, yeah. I think it's such an important point. Like it really kind of bears emphasis, like emphasizing that you don't have to be perfect in whatever you're going to define. You're probably putting way more pressure on yourself than anyone else is going to, right? Like you, you want to start with the steps that actually make sense, right? Like this point about like, oh, I couldn't give up X food. Okay, give up everything else first. Like that seems so kind of, you know, clear and like helpful. But I think a lot of people have trouble with that. Like they don't, they don't want to do that um, because they don't think it's enough. But if, you, if you're not doing that, then you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. Um, but I think for any, anybody who's, it's a journey for everyone, right? I mean, like I'm always having new kind of thoughts about, veganism and sort of new perspectives about things and stuff. And, you know, I've been vegan for a very long time. So I think your lesson about sort of sharing with people where you are in your journey and also kind of listening to where they are on their journey only can be a positive thing. You know, I mean, like that, that really applies no matter who you are or where you are on this, on this front. I mean, I think, I, I feel like people understand you know, very quickly, like, oh, it's so annoying because I have all this information I just want to give to other people and how come they're not just doing it, you know, um, and it, it requires a little bit of, you know, empathy and, and a grace uh, to to give them the patience and the autonomy in the space, but also have the conversation and not kind of avoid the entire conversation. So I, th I think your, your sort of positive, friendly, practical approach is really, I mean, it sounds like when you hear it, you're like, yeah, 
course. Okay. Really profound. It's really important to kind of um, take that perspective or you're just going to burn yourself out and, you know, become kind of bitter and isolated for no good reason. (laughs) Right. I think a lot of people once, you know, once your eyes are open for whatever reason, whether it was a documentary or um, a pamphlet or however you came about veganism, I feel like a lot of us are suddenly like, I had no idea about this. And now there's still so many people who don't know. And that's where that enthusiasm comes from. And you just, you don't, you want the rest of the world to see what you see now. And it can be frustrating if everyone doesn't catch up, like at the same time that you Mm -hmm. do. But I think it's important to remember that you're just learning about this. And maybe a year ago, you didn't know either. And how did, how did you come about this change? Was it someone like yelling at you that we need to make a change? Or was it something a little more subtle? And keeping that in mind, because I can absolutely relate to like, I didn't know for so long, even in my own life. And now I know, and I want to like influence others to change too. But you can, it's just a matter of, like you said, compassion and empathy for your peers, as well as, you know, we're obviously vegan for compassion reasons and just extending that to your circle as well. And um, it helps, like you said, otherwise you end up burnt out and kind of disgruntled about like you're in this alone. But if you bring your friends along on the journey in not a forceful way, you know, community is so huge in making changes like this and having the support of others that if you slowly but surely have the patience and bring them along the way, it's just so much more impactful in the long run. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really true. And I think, you know, I would say the inverse too, right? So there's a reason it's part of the journey for people to become, you know, kind of polemic and frankly, kind of obnoxious, right? In the beginning of this, right? Like anybody who is coming into an issue that they, it turns out are very passionate about, right? Sometimes this is the first issue that really feels like this massive injustice. And I think that makes total sense. Um, so I think, you know, we can all sort of see, okay, well, this is a part of that person's journey. They have to kind of be doing that. And I would just hope that non-vegans or people who aren't like, you know, really kind of understanding of that can, can kind of think that way a little bit and give people the space to, you know, work out their more aggressive (laughs) until they find something where they're calibrated to, okay, this, this is where I want to be. This is what works, you know, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, like being vegan is being vegan is about sort of a celebration of life and the value of life and kind of this pursuit of, of happiness kind of concept. And so if, if your um, journey is away from those concepts, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> right. right. So I think Absolutely. it's more about finding a way to engage with people and interact with people and sort of be close to people and integrate these values and concepts. And that's what we'll end up with, you know, these really great, like, you know, 3 a.m. conversations when you're in college or whatever, um, or the equivalent of that when you're, you know, a middle-aged parent like me and you're having these conversations, you know, in between um, chasing children around. Um, I think that, um, you know, having that sense of what we're doing this for is to enhance all life, right? Animal life, human life, um, you know, and my seven-year-old is always reminding me that humans are animals. So why are we always <laughs> calling them something else? Um, so yeah, I mean, this is what it's for. It's to make things overall better. And I think 
coming at it from that point of view is going to allow you to have a much more kind of effective advocacy style. Absolutely. And when I was doing grassroots outreach, it would always, we'd always make a point to say, you know, we're not, because for some reason, some people seem to think that like, okay, other animals, humans, if you lift this up, it's going to make the humans go uh -huh. down. And that's not the case. We're not devaluing humans by any means. We're just creating a level playing field, for lack of better terms, because in terms of sentience and the ability to feel pain and think and form relationships, other animals are right there with us. So it's not a matter of bringing us down. It's just a matter of bringing everyone else up to create a more level and compassionate environment. Yeah. And I think we've run into that idea that it's like a zero sum game so often. And that is like this idea that like everybody's on a hierarchy and that's what we're trying to break down, right? This, this idea that humans can only be compassionate and helpful to other humans then you start opening up this very complicated question of, well, which humans, you know, what are the criteria that qualify you to be treated okay? <laughs> you know, right. what are the criteria that qualify you to be treated better than that? So I think, you know, that to me is the wrong road to go down. I think this is about learning about our similarity with animals, I think helps us understand our humanity better and helps us express in a consistent way those sort of more compassionate values and it enhances everyone, right? So instead of having like, you know, here or here versus here, I think everybody goes up when you end up, you know, really internalizing some of these ways of thinking. And then you start seeing it everywhere, right? Like these concepts of fairness, like, okay, how do we, you know, thinking about like my background as a lawyer, okay, how do we, you know, resolve disputes? What are our um, grievances that are legitimate and why? You know, like who, what's fair in terms of, you know, resource allocation, like that kind of thing is excluded entirely from the conversation and why, you know, and those things do not fall neatly on species lines, not at all. So I think it allows you to think better and in a, in a more consistent way when you start really seeing these issues. Definitely. At least for me, that, that was when the floodgates started opening for so many other different issues. And I think other people see another issue first and then veganism comes in after. So there are so many um, ways that everything kind of overlaps and goes hand in hand with one another. And once whatever door it is that opens it, once you start seeing it, I absolutely agree that it's not um, bringing one up and the other down. It's lifting everyone up and realizing, you know, where you stand in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we'll see, I mean, my personal opinion is like, we'll see such interesting innovation coming out of the next generation because they can come into a world where veganism is much more normalized. Um, so we'll see, you know, innovation on all fronts, right? Like obviously not just technological, but, you know, in terms of uh, the culture change and the kind of values around things and how we address, you know, the big questions of kind of society and everything. Um, let's end this on a little bit of a lighter note. Uh, what, what would you say is the number one thing right now that you're excited about in terms of new vegan food out there? It's so hard to just pick one. Um, I'm definitely excited for the McPlant at McDonald's just because it isn't, from what I understand, beyond meat as we already know it. It's going to be this new category and McDonald's wants it to be their signature item. McPlant is potentially going to be its own line. So it's not going to just be 
a vegan burger at McDonald's, it's going to be a McDonald's vegan burger and seeing those new flavors and well, not new, but those signature flavors in a new vegan um, avenue is what I'm most excited about, as well as um, Starbucks just being able to finally catch up to what we all know their potential is already there to have a fully vegan breakfast sandwich option. Um, just these two McDonald's and Starbucks, I would say are the two big players that we've been waiting for. And we're so close to finally seeing this come to light. And like you said, with the next generation, when they do have these options readily available to them, that's almost like my own background of having the support right from the get go, how much further that took me for the next generation, having that avenue already paved for them, the sky's going to be the limit. So I think, yeah, these two McDonald's and Starbucks, I would say seeing what they come out with and how it um, improves the landscape is very exciting. Yeah. I'm getting like, I'm, I'm, this is like the brightest spot of my day, you know, I'm really tying a bow on this whole conversation. It, it is very much like, you know, veganism has arrived, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Here. Well, thank you so much. It's been really, really nice talking with you. You too. I really enjoyed it.